With everything you have on your plate, earning your degree online seems impossible. But at Grand Canyon University, we specialize in helping you fit a master's degree in education into your busy day. Your graduation team, led by your own GCU counselor, provides you with the personal support you need to succeed. Achieve your goals with a plan and team behind you. Find your purpose at Grand Canyon University. Visit gcu.edu. Non-benders alike, welcome to Braving the Elements, Nickelodeon's new podcast about all things Avatarverse. I'm Janet Varney. And I'm Dante Bosco. And welcome to the show. That's right. Welcome to the show indeed. What's going on? How are you? Well, you know, we're back. We're back. Been checking out the episodes this week and really, uh, really interesting stuff went through my mind as I was watching watching this particular episode coming up. Oh, I'm excited to hear about it. How are you doing? I'm good. I mean, I'm I'm a little envious of the smoothie that I see you drinking. Um, I do enjoy a smoothie, and I'd like to start seeing your smoothies become a little more themed towards whatever the episode is. So if, like, for example, we were talking about, you know, episode, I don't know, 107 today, 106 uh-huh. maybe. If we did 106, it would be like a nut-themed shake no what i'm saying um, there is some nuts in there i was going to tell you oh, like good. Sokka did you know opens the episode with nuts and i do have a little nuts in here some i think they're walnuts or something what a tribute sure. we also wanted to make sure to give a shout out to all of the wonderful listeners on twitter i'm at janet varney dante's at dante bosco who have kept us abreast of all the avatar kind of themed olympic stuff in tokyo all right, we're going to be recapping episode six of The Last Airbender today. Imprisoned is its title. And after our recap, we're also going to be joined by a very special guest from this episode. And I will say other episodes and many other things. This is a really fun role for him this season on The Last Airbender. The inimitable Kevin Michael Richardson will be joining us to talk about his wonderful, wonderful voiceover career. He's an amazing guy. He's an amazing guy. We had so much fun recapping The King of Omashu with Andre. That was so much fun. I laughed so hard. I actually followed up with John O'Brien last week because remember how we forgot to ask him about Pippin Patalopsicopolis? Like, was it something specific? Was it a reference to something? Anyway, we talked about it in the Andre episode and he said, you know what? I don't think it's a reference to anything. Just good old old-fashioned gibberish shout out to john o'brien that episode is bonkers and i laugh my butt off this is not as funny of an episode (laughs) no this episode is quite political quite it is it gets really political really quick it does it does it goes deep quick and listen there's a very popular ship that takes place in this episode and others to come so we're gonna give a shout out to some very specific shippers who enjoy a Katara ship in this episode. So in this episode, in a nearby Earth village, the gang that we know and love meets an Earthbender named Haru. He is hiding the fact that he is an Earthbender because the village is occupied by the Fire Nation and soldiers there send any Earthbenders that they can find 
off to a prison, hence the cleverness of the title, Imprisoned. It was an episode written by Matthew Hubbard. It was directed by Dave Filoni. And as you said, you brought us in the big theme of the episode. There's a lot of politics here. Uh, There's a lot of conversation about occupying forces and how to kind of quell the masses and keep them under your thumb and all that. It's a really powerful episode with some great guest stars. I'm so excited that we have Kevin with us to talk about it uh, after we do our recap. And uh, without further ado, shall we get into the recap? Let's get into the recap. At the end of episode five, the gang had just left Amashu and now they're in the forest eating rocks. And then they go into, they're in the <laughs> forest and then they hear, it was actually really funny when they're doing the sound when like um, Momo's like trying to break the nut and it's like, Hush, and they do it again. And then Sokka, of course, says, shouldn't we go away from the booming sounds? But That's of course, right. not Team Avatar. Practical Avatar. and smart. No one wants to do that. Mm-hmm. Everyone's too curious. Well, this guy was doing some cool earthbending in... I like that gully. I guess it was... You know what I mean? Is that the word? Gull- yeah. Did you say gully? It looked like there used to be a river there, but now it's just, a. I guess, a gully, a levee. I feel real good I don't know what that. Yeah. that thing is. I feel... <laughs> I feel good about. I'm from all, L.A. Neither we one don't of know us. What I was going to say, if we if all we saw was a concrete, empty, dry basin, we'd know. Oh, that's a, the L.A. River. That's basically yes, what the we L.A. River. Yeah, our our yeah. river in Los Angeles has cement throughout the whole thing. I don't know why. That's but right. That's what we have. I don't. That's right. But here we got this nice. We got this nice earthscape where he's kind of he's got the walls. We're call of it a gully. The, the riverbed on the on the. He's got the walls of the gully. Gully, gully, gully. He's got the People are going to write gully. in and be like, that is not a gully. That's definitely not a gully, Barney. I, Fern Gully was a gully. I feel like this is a gully without the ferns. He's got all the space. He's either practicing or he's mad or both, but he is smashing those boulders this yeah. way and that up against the walls of the gully. And they try to say, hello. How's that go? He's out of here. I mean, Katara came in hot, like, at the club. She's like, hi, I'm Katara. What's your name? Like, well, why don't like, we just, whoa, whoa, whoa. Hi. Yeah. She came. She was looking cute. Like, hey, I'm Katara. What's up? What's your name? Because he's a good looking guy. Yeah, I mean, she catches good. a glimpse of my guy. Yeah. And he's he's a handsome fellow. And here we got this guy who clearly has all this power and skill. Yet all it takes is a cute girl to say hi. And he is gone. He's gone. But they realize he must have gone somewhere. And therefore, there must be a town somewhere nearby. Yeah. Which, by the way. They are so hungry, and I get it. And they're excited because there could be a market there. It means they don't have to eat any more rocks and or nuts. But I didn't see right. Aang and Katara doing anything. They were mad at Sokka because he was, didn't bring them more food, but he did the best he could. He's a gatherer. He's a ga- The other thing is, like, not only are they hungry, they also have pets with them that they have to feed. Yeah. And I'm That's sure that really bison, that bison got to eat a lot of stuff. That's a big dude. <laughs> You think he's just mowing his way through the forest? They have to. They say a lot of animals have to eat like half their body weight in food every day. I mean, how are they finding that much stuff for Appa? We got to get into the physics of that. We're gonna have to get into the vegetarian. Yeah, we're gonna have to bring in somebody to really talk to just get into it about how much of his own body weight Appa needs to eat on a daily basis. Because you're right, he's big and he's hungry. Half of his body weight daily. That's right. So you're right. They get excited and they they do find this really quiet village, maybe too quiet. They see, you know, where Haru goes and and they go inside. And sure enough, they actually he leads them right to a market because that's what he and his mom are running inside the village. And then Katara sees Haru and she she says that she saw him earthbending 
and his mother freaks out. And this is the first time we get to see, like, oh, like, it's banned. Like, earth, earthbending is banned in this town. Um, yeah. And that was kind of, like, pretty dramatic kind of moment. And then the yeah. Fire Nation knocks at the door, and we think, oh, no, what happened? And then they're just there to collect more money. Yeah, they're, like, extorting them. I will say this is one of my favorite moments of the entire episode. In fact, maybe a good share-me-the-details moment where Sokka screams, Fire Nation, act natural! <laughs> when they open yeah. the door, the that tableau portrait. is so... Funny, it's Hilarious. so funny. I look, I could watch that over and over. Katara's feet are just like pointing towards each other, and Haru and <laughs> and Saga somehow are like working together to like contemplate an apple. Like, oh, interesting. And then right. Aang is trying to lean casually on a barrel of water that totally he like you know busts it open. He tips the lid and, and gets water all over him. It's just a great, very yes. funny moment. For anybody who's ever been at a hotel party as a teenager, knows exactly what they do. When, when the, the door is knocked and security's there. Cops <laughs> at the door. Everyone, everyone, just what? act I, yes. natural. I was dancing on top of a pizza. What? No big deal. Hey, yeah. I'm just normal. <laughs> I'm just normal. And by the way, also, I love that nuts are this weird theme throughout the episode, including apparently the hat vendor. Right before they go inside the market, Aang's like, hey, that's a great hat. I'll trade you some nuts for it. And apparently some that works yeah. because he does get the hat. So I love he the does idea get that of the hat. hat vendor being like, nuts, yes, please. I wonder if they were on some big nut kick when they were shooting the episode, when they were like drawing it, like they were like in, someone was like bringing a lot of almonds in, some pistachios. <laughs> they were just like in a nut phase or like... I want that to be true so bad. That's what I'm talking about. We're going to have to get in touch with Matthew Hubbard. So, yeah, these uh, Fire Nation soldiers are total bullies. They totally extort money. And she, poor Haru's mom only has, her chest is like almost empty of money. You open it up, it's like there's a few coins in there. She gives them most of what she has. And they're like, yeah, you know. He says, keep the copper ones. He's like, keep the pennies. We want just the silver ones. Can I just say, side note, that these guys are working out. This is not Fire Nation you know, this is not standard operating procedure going on well, here. These guys are taking advantage of their uh-huh. positions and they're doing stuff that's not sanctioned by the Fire Nation. We can continue. Thank you. Great. That's actually really, really good to know. It's I do think of the Fire Nation as being much cooler and more honorable and nice to people than that. So wonderful. Really, really glad. Um, <laughs> yeah, so they've been they've been occupying this town and they're also extorting them. And this has been going on for five years. And we find out that Fire Lord Ozai uses the coal mines in this village to sh- uh, fuel all of these scary ships that we have a lot of experience with by now in the show. And so anybody who has any power obviously serves a threat. So they just take him away, including, we find out, uh, Haru's dad. So it's nice that they let them stay with them because these these kids could mean trouble. But still, you know, Haru takes them to... What is it, like a barn? Yeah, they can stay in a barn. They can stay in their barn for the night. But they got to go in the morning. But you can't stay. Yeah. You got to go. And Appa is already just eating them out of barn and home. He has to eat half his body weight and hay. So <laughs> get to eating, buddy. It, it can't be canon that he has to eat half his body weight every day. Oh, man. And and we do see Katara, and this is where I guess we could just acknowledge this is the Harutara shipper, which is actually one of my favorite shipping names, Harutara. That's very catchy and very beautiful. Harutara. Harutara. They got a chemistry. They both lost a parent. She definitely had a little sparkle in his eye, her eye 
I saw it. I mean, I saw it. I felt it. In an, it's like this is one of those in another place, another time situations. That's right. That's right. And yeah, we so they have this kind of moment together where there is some sparkle, and we find out yes, you know his his dad. The only way he feels close to his dad is earthbending, but he's not supposed to earthbend. So he feels this real loss, and he also feels like he can't even kind of spiritually or emotionally cl- connect with his dad because he can't earthbend. And then Katara shows her necklace and her necklace and reveals that she lost her mother, yeah, to the Fire Nation raids or of some yeah. sort. We're not a hundred percent sure. She definitely lost her. Um, I mean, I think we do know that the Fire Nation took her, so please don't try to shirk off the responsibility of that. I saw you try to slip that under the door. She's like, whoop, door's closed. Oh, slip something came sure. through the crack. And that is Dante trying to sell us on the idea that the, <laughs> the Fire Nation is not responsible for what happened to Katara's mom. In fact, they are responsible. In fact, they are <laughs> responsible. Good try. Good try, my friend. Almost got past me. Which guy was doing some acting out of order or something? You're lucky that all of a sudden this conversation gets broken up by a loud sound. Somebody needs help. What's happening? There's a mind collapsing in on this old man. Which once we know what we know, it's almost like, why didn't you just leave him there? I know, but that was a... Before that, it was a very good moment. Katara talks Haru into using his earthbending skills to help this old man being crushed by rocks in the mine. What is he doing in the mine? We don't know what he's doing in the mine. Good question. Ooh, I didn't even stop to think about that. I thought about it. So what this old man doing in this (laughs) damn mine by himself? And when he heard the rocks crumbling, what's he doing down here? I agree. Nonetheless, suspicious. they're helping him out. They're helping him out and, and she's like... You can help him by using your earth bending, and his eyes were shaking. I like the way their eyes shake when they're like really intense. Yeah. Yeah. And he does some really cool earth bending. I mean, he does it so hard. Every he clears that whole mine out for like yeah, that place was you know just dusted that place out. Boom, it's ready. To, <laughs> whatever they're mining is ready to rock and roll. Yeah, and. It seems like they get away. I mean, they get away with it. They save his life. Obviously, he's not going to rat them out. I mean, they saved no, his she, life. Katara so says, why worry? Katara says, nobody's around. No one can see you do this. Just do it. No one's Except here. That guy. Oh, my God. When that, so, so then what happens? What happens, Marnie, after that? So so they save his life. And then back at the barn that night, you know, it's obvious that, that Katara has talked about what happened. She talks about how brave uh, Haru was. And Sokka is rightly so feeling, and also because he's a worrier. He is legit worried about the Fire Nation finding out uh, because this was a big risk that they took. And... Uh, Katara and Aang don't seem that worried. You know, they're busy teasing Sokka about they'd rather, you know, oh, the, I'd rather eat fireballs than nuts for breakfast. I would not. Um, right. And, more, and then, nuts, no, more nut jokes. No, more nut jokes. And then we see, we sort of cut back and forth. We see that soldiers are coming. And so we're kind but, of misdirected. But, but Aang, oh, Aang, before that, yeah. Aang does say, to, he's like, yeah, I'm so impressed that Katara inspired him to to use his earth bending and really was proud of the inspiration because you know Katara does these inspirational talks during throughout the show yeah. she's like inspired oh. he's like she's so great I love her she's inspiring to the people yeah. cut to 
and then knock at the door of good old Haru's place. And we think we kind of think, you know, I think we're meant to sort of think, oh, this is they're coming for for Team Avatar, right? Because we see them tucking in, right. and we see the soldiers coming. I and thought we're like, so. Oh no, oh no! And it turns out they're knocking on the door of Haru, and there is the old man. Dropped a dime on him. He's right there Why? to say, that's him. That's the earthbender. Why? Oh. Wild, man. Can we interview that old man? Why would you do this, old man? That's not how things go down. No, but this is what you were talking about when, with how political it is. Because for me, and I don't know about for you, but it does conjure up this idea of collaborators, which were people, you know, for example, in World War II, who were being mm-hmm. occupied by an enemy of their country but they came in and occupied and they so many people are so afraid that they end up collaborating now i'm sure people also collaborated because they weren't afraid they just like were greedy or the selfish or whatever but the fear that you feel like you have to rat somebody out because otherwise you could be killed the second anyone finds out you didn't rat them out uh is just like you know people people were doing that to each other and it's incredibly sad but it did happen. It got me because I thought they were coming for the team Avatar. And then all of a sudden, Haru. But, you know, and then the crazy thing, the next morning, team Avatar is ready to go and everything. And the way they showed Katara and the mother. I'm so glad you brought no that No lines. Up. It's a great scene, right? It's so adult. It's so mature and filmic, like cinematic. And it's very sad. Haru's mom is looking out to see... And Katara is water bending out of the water pump into a kind of a clay pot, and then she sees her Haru's mom turn around, and she re- and we see that recognition in Katara's face, right? And then she drops that pot, and it breaks, and the right. water comes out. It's great. I'm so glad. No you dialogue needed. Great moment. Oh, so good. no dialogue needed. And then she runs in to tell him to tell him we that we find out. Yeah, what we thought she just realized is in fact true. She has confirmed with Haru's mom that he's been taken away. And it's she says it's her fault. Very filmic. Very filmic. And and Sokka, they're ready to get going. Sokka's like, when did this happen? And she's like, around midnight. And Sokka's like, well, we can't track him then. So we need another idea. That's right. And she's like, oh, I already have one. We don't need to be able to track him because I'm going to get myself arrested for earthbending, bending, bending, bending. And I was like, is that the best idea? Is that the best? <laughs> is that the best idea? I think... It may not be the best idea, but it's also a way for her to punish herself because she feels responsible. That's true. I got that. Right? Sometimes, like, when we feel responsible, it's like, maybe this is the hardest possible way to go about it, but I deserve that because this is all my fault, which right. I never thought about before until you and then just I said thought, that. couldn't she just waterbend and they would arrest her anyway? But then I then I thought, if she waterbend and they arrest her, maybe they wouldn't take her to the earthbenders, right? They would oh, take her good, I, good point. It didn't, Yeah. Which I don't know how they would necessarily know that, but you're right. It would could have been a totally different story if she had just wanted. And also, I feel she like just, she doesn't she doesn't trust the the power that she wants to show off in order to get arrested. They might just be like, "Oh, cool! Can you water bend some water into this cup for me to drink?" Like maybe yeah. they wouldn't be intimidated enough. <laughs> <laughs> but Sokka's got an idea, as he always does, to show that Katara can kind of fake Earth bend. And he, um, I mean, it goes back to these mines, these shafts that he, I mean, he, he found he found these shafts. Can Obviously, we, there's all these air shafts. Yeah, I want to say, can we acknowledge how, like, 
municipal and urban the vents themselves look when everything else what they look like a great uh, in new york city like you're walking down the streets of manhattan and there's a vent like that but for some reason in the dirt and fans don't be mad at me you know i'm right it is funny that they are so municipal and so urban looking and you're like why didn't i notice those before at any time in this, this episode, particular yeah. earthbending town has a great city planning coordination <laughs> system and a lot of great ventilation for their mine workers. Agreed. But they don't have earthbenders working in the mines when yeah. they should be. We are finding all kinds of problems with this episode. But that's not the point, Varney. That's not the point. The point is... Now we have these air shafts, and what the plan is, is we're going to put a big boulder on the air shaft, and then at the right moment, we're going to get into a fight, and then we're going to ha- get Katara to pretend like she's earthbending, and Aang is actually going to blow some wind through the earth shaft to lift the rock, and so she looks like an uh, earthbender gets caught red-handed, and so they go for this little act that they do. Yeah, which they have a little trouble getting Aang to focus for some reason, because he's like playing with a butterfly sort of air bending a butterfly or mesmerizing yeah, a butterfly i'm not sure what's happening so he's only half paying attention so there's they it's off to a, a little bit of a bumpy start and they start talking about Sokka's ears the sibling banter is actually pretty funny because they start talking about it. hey 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 hey, come on calm down on that calm down on that ear talk <laughs> <laughs> it's starting to feel too real but it was funny because i like how they paid off the joke later on that he talks to momo about his ears like you're actually your ears are pretty yeah. big momo which, Which again, pretty, pretty it's, it's this episode's fault for getting me thinking into these deep, big picture problems, because even that, it crossed my mind, again, because we're already in this political place and like this sort of, you know, heavy emotional stuff that's going on, even within these funny moments, that I actually thought to myself, you see, this is how bullying can sometimes happen. Because somebody gave him a hard time about something he was self-conscious about. And what did he do? He turned around and he put it Bullied on someone mama. else. He put it on someone put else, on someone else to make himself feel better. That's a yes. light form of some bullying in the episode. But note to self, when someone makes you feel bad, sometimes the most base desire is to just like put that on someone else. And that's how it kind of gets passed down. So shame on you, Sokka. That's true. Poor Momo. Shame on you, Sokka. But also, Momo's ears are pretty big. <laughs> You're right. You're not wrong. <laughs> This episode of Braving the Elements is brought to you by Terra Turf's Ventilation Grates. Don't settle for anything less than the best to celebrate your town's civic planning. Terra Turf's Ventilation Grates. We're not just blowing hot air. They're the greatest. And then there was that great moment with Katara where she's like, I'll show you who's boss. Earthbending style. And it goes like straight into uh, right. that anime. Like her <laughs> fa- her face looks completely different. You just see her giant square teeth and like her little nostrils. And we got the, like the lines moving through it. I mean, it's super stylized. Really, really funny. It's got a great sound effect to it. Very, very anime. It was very cool. And yeah, so it worked. Their plan worked. They have arrested Katara. She is in a boat. She's in a Fire Nation boat. And we have Aang and Sokka following on Appa. Uh, and the boat is heading to this big kind of metal prison island where we meet uh, one of the great characters, a couple of the great characters of the episode. Right. Certainly we meet Tyra, but before that we meet the warden who is played by none other than George Takai, also known as Sulu and... Many yes. other voices. Awesome. Just a famous, famous oh. voice. 
It's great. You know, just the, the, when you hear George Takai's voice and you hear Kevin Michael Richardson's voice, it's jarring, you know, just when it first comes out of their mouth. And he's an evil person. I mean, it, <laughs> actually, I love his, his, his introduction. George Takai comes in as the warden and he's, you know, he's, He's saying how nice it is here. You're like, you're a guest. Don't think of yourself as prisoners. Think of yourself as guests. And I hope you come to think of me as your humble and caring host. And if you just treat us with the same kindness we are treating you, you'll be okay. You know, very. And then he ends up like throwing fireball at one guy that coughed at a line. <laughs> and then Sends him down to solitary. He's totally... A nightmare of a warden. You always think wardens like I don't. That's one of the reasons why you don't want to go to jail because you're scared to, to run to a guy like that. Yeah, you're afraid that they're going to be st- kind of sadistic and and evil and super hypocritical. Yeah, that's a great, just m- such a mean spirited speech when you see what he does to the other guy and that he even says what kind of guest dishonors his host by interrupting him take him below so he's like if you can earthbend uh it doesn't even matter because we've made this prison entirely out of metal which foreshadow report foreshadow report foreshadow could be report. that there's more of a relationship to earthbending and metal than we know about right now foreshadow report but for now no earthbenders have any sense of being able to bend any kind of metal. There's They're trapped there. There's nothing they can use as a weapon. So it seems that people have given up because Katara goes into that prison yard and everyone just has super low bummer energy. It's super bummer. Talking in small groups. She does find her guy, though, quite quickly. She finds oh, yeah. Haru. She's wearing like a potato sack for some reason. <laughs> right? Over. Just side note. All of a sudden, she gets captured, and now she's wearing a potato sack. Brown <laughs> potato sack over her blue clothes. I totally caught that. Uniform. And then the other thing I caught in this whole episode, which I think, I don't know if it's the art or anything, but she's looking very cute in this episode, A. And then B, her little, twir- her like bang things, mm-hmm. her twirly things. Yeah. They really show you in this episode that they go from the top into yeah. the bun in the back. Yes, yes. I didn't notice that I before. Love like, this is the first time I noticed that kind of attention to detail. Okay, I mean, this is clearly the true share me the details moment. Forget about the other one I said. And I don't always see cosplayers go from there all the way to the bun because it. I don't. First of all, I don't understand the physics of that particular look, <laughs> and that's not a look that has caught on in the modern times yet. I've seen if cosplayers do it, but yeah. for it to go from the top of your head to the bun in the back yeah. is what was happening in this particular episode. Yeah, she I'm was doing look some for good... next episodes where what happens. Good. I, I listen. I could not love the idea of you tracking Katara's hairstyle with care and, and her bangs. affection. I couldn't enjoy that more. So please do keep your eyes open. Haru sees her. He's like, I can't imagine how shocked you would be if you were him. Like all of a sudden in this to- prison full of earthbenders. There she is, and uh, and he says, you know, this is my dad, and that's Kevin Michael Richardson as Tyro, and he offers her some stew, which, let's be honest, looks like it has a couple of stones floating in it, but we know it can't be because there's no it wasn't earth. Good. It there's wasn't no good. There's no earth or rock than, He says it's it better than it looks. It's not as bad as it looks. <laughs> it's still pretty bad, though. And then she's, you know, she gets all excited, like, okay, well, now I'm here, so I guess we should talk about what, you know, your plan is. How are you guys going to escape? What's your what's your plan? And Tyro just 
shuts her down so fast. You know, he's like, the plan is to wait this out. Katara's such a, like a clean, squeaky clean, squeaky clean girl. She's like, I, I'm here. I got captured. Now let's go. She gives a speech. Rah, rah, rah. Fight the warden. I love this speech. And in fact, I love this speech. We'll talk about what happens after the speech in a second. But I just want to say I love this speech regardless of the outcome so much. Every time I watch this episode, I have to watch her give that speech twice. I think it is so well written. Twice? so lovely. And so I want to say I will call that and this segment the rewatch rewatch. So we're doing our whole series of rewatches. But within the rewatch, sometimes there's a rewatch. So I'm talking about rewatch, rewatch for me is this Katara speech in this episode. I had to listen to it twice. It is great. You know, when she says, yes, they have taken away your ability to bend, but they can't take away your courage. And it is your courage they should truly fear because it runs deeper than any mine you've been forced to dig, any ocean that keeps you far from home. It is the strength of your hearts that make you who you are. Hearts that will remain unbroken when all rock and stone has eroded away. Come on. That's beautiful. It deserves a second look. That's my rewatch. Rewatch. Okay. I'm going to go rewatch it now because I didn't rewatch it, but I did have a, I felt some type of way about that particular monologue. I was like, this is good. Yeah. This is good. And, you know, nothing but then, comes of it. There's like the silence and then the classic cough. Crickets. Someone awkward it was just it's super awkward like it's funny it's like funny. tyro's looking at everybody like like these guys are broken down so much so the warden's looking down from the top and he's like what's gonna happen what's gonna happen he's like he's so smug he's he like is so sure he is safe forever he is not worried about anything that warden again he doesn't represent the entirety of the fire nation <laughs> We have some people in the ranks that are jerks, right? Abusive, abusive with their power, and we need some reform for sure. Great, it's let's not. Me- this is all music put to my that ears. On the entirety of the Fire Nation. So nice to hear you say it. And this this goes back to like you know, uh, Ang saying how how impressed he was with Katara inspiring other people to kind of like you know ri- raise up, rise up. Right. But then again, it falls flat on on its face at this particular moment. It actually made me feel very sad. Like, oh, my God, these guys are so broken. Like they really were broken. And again, you know, we say how political this whole episode is. And it it is. I can't believe this is so poignant today. Right now, you can like look online and 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 this is a cartoon, but it's kind of depicting some of the issues that we're dealing with today as a society absolutely you know it's a great speech and that just shows how beat down to your point they truly are and so we just sort of are left with that in action and the moment that Katara has of like oh this is gonna not go this is not going the way I thought it would and we go it's night we see these kind of searchlights out from the prison hitting the water all that we see Aang and Sokka and Appa kind of uh, and Momo sort of, you know, carefully avoiding being caught and scrabbling up onto the prison. And Aang does find Katara and and takes her to where Sokka and Appa are waiting. 
And, you know, Sokka's like, all right, right, let's do this. You had your 12 hours. Let's get out of here. And she won't leave. She can't. She says she can't. She can't give up. Right. Which also just Sokka says you had 12 hours. Let's go. Which me- makes me realize I don't know how much time we've talked about, you know, with actual. They don't have no watches. Right. Like hours, 12 hours. Like, yeah, all of a sudden we're telling time in a very specific way. Right. Well, they said midnight and 12 hours. And I'm like, what clock? What, what clocks are we? I haven't uh, seen in the a village, clock. Uh, in the village and uh, in some Just side uh, note, areas I don't mean prison. to be contrary, but I'm a little contrary today. But I'm still enjoying the story. I just want to, I just want to throw I it like out it. there. I promise you anything that you're saying that you're questioning, you are not the first Avatar fan to notice that stuff. And... You know, that's part that's part of it. Some days you might be watching something with a more critical eye and kind of problem solving and like you know, kind of deconstructing more from one level. And then on a different day, you know, we all take it from where we are. Maybe you feel a little ornery today. Maybe you feel like you just want to see how the, the gears are working in the clock that isn't anywhere in the show. So how are they telling time? I couldn't tell you 12 hours from now without a clock. <laughs> That'd be hard. I'm going to call you in 12 hours and you have to try to tell me what time it is. Call me in 12 hours. But don't look at a clock. Now. Don't look at a clock. Don't look at no clock, though. So no. Sokka and Aang, you know, they're worried, but they they do agree to help. And so Aang sends, kind of sends Ava up into the sky to be a diversion. And the soldiers do. It works. They see and report to the warden. Um, they have this whole like funny kind of another sort of Rosencrantz and Guildenstern. You brought that up in a in a recent episode. Another sort yes. of bumbling moment yes, yes. where two soldiers are arguing over whether it was a buffalo or a bison. They don't know what the difference is between a buffalo and a bison. That was pretty funny. I also don't know the difference between a buffalo or a bison. I don't really understand it. Was I don't one know. of them? I think one of them was about to answer, but before they got cut off, or maybe they do start to answer. The one guy said, "Well, that's really not the point, sir. I mean." It was flying. Yeah. And the warden gets him tossed overboard. And then classic comedy moment of, you know, you, now you, go get the captain and tell them to search the entire rig. And the soldier's like, huh, excuse me, uh, sir, you just threw the captain overboard. And he's like, then find someone I didn't throw overboard. It's great. Great comedy. Great, great comedy. comedy. A great comedy bit. Class probably goes way back to Lauren Hardy, even before then. Who knows? Marx Brothers, that was... That's that kind of stuff. Yeah. Classic. I love it. I love it. And again, it breathes some air into a really heavy episode. So you really need those moments. A really you heavy. You need that laugh. You know, you need it yes. in there. So we had, then we go over. Or else we'd all just be crying. Exactly. The whole time. Exactly. So we go over to where we see Momo and Katara and Sokka and Aang. They're all kind of hidden among these crates trying to come up with some kind of plan. Obviously, the thing staring them all in the face is like, this is so ironic because we have these amazing, powerful earthbenders here. Uh, All we want to do is let them earthbend. Then they could, you know, absolutely be free. But there's nothing for them to even earthbend here. And then Aang has his realization. Right. And they realize that... This ship in the middle of the water where there's no earth is being run by coal. And coal is earth. And so they got to come up with an idea of how to get this coal nearby or to these earthbenders. And we go back to Sokka's idea of these municipal wind vents. Which seem like they fit a little bit better within the prison, but so it's definitely in the prison. Way better ventilation in this prison, for sure. And then Aang goes and does some airbending and through the wind and through the whatever he's doing, gets 
a ton of coal shooting through the vents. Yeah, and it comes up in the prison yard, right? It's just this giant mountain of coal, basically. And here we go. Like, Katara's got a second chance to rally the troops. She gives another speech. Let's go, Katara. Come on, everybody. Now you have the power you need. Let's do this. And then still nothing happens. And the warden is just, like, loving every second of it. I know. What a smug... But it does, you know, all these speeches make you feel like Katara could someday run for president. Oh, absolutely. A hundred percent I would vote for her. Right? Yeah. Absolutely. For sure. She's she's she gives great speeches. She gives great speeches. And so he's just like, Yeah, he's smug. Oh, you're so right. He's like, I told you, yeah, these guys are broken. But then they did they start firebending at that moment? Something happens. Start, he turns away. Yeah, yeah the, the start, warden is like, I don't even it's like he doesn't even have to look. Yeah. It's very cool because like one stone, like like just a few stones come at the warden. Did he, and it's like it's got that. You kind of get emotion. I kind of got emotional watching this part because you see people beaten down, finally standing up for themselves, and it just starts with like one pebble, yeah. and then it was like. Um, and then the firebenders kind of turn back on him and start to firebend towards the earthbenders. And then when, like, the elders get together and form that big oh, wall. It's boosh, so and, like, cool. And then it's emotional. It's so emotional. Tyro and the, it's emotional. Like, they're like, you know, they're, it's it's you finally standing up for yourself. Like, we've all been beaten down. We've all felt hopeless. Yeah. You know? Even, even when hope comes, you, you can't kind of latch onto it. But then... Uh, you know, then they finally, you know, they finally are able to grasp grasp some of that hope. And I, I, I mean, I'm sure a lot of people out there, I watching this time, definitely was emotional watching watching them stand up for themselves. Yeah. It was amazing. Well, and I think too, I, I I agree with everything you said, and I love it. And I would just add that it's it's really hard and scary to be that first person that, in this case, you know, stands up for himself first. But it's like you have to know that your community, you may not know for sure, but you have to hope that somebody will have your back and that the community will stand up with you. And rather than each person thinking of their own safety and therefore everyone being beat down and not no one standing up first because that's the scariest moment, Haru is like, no, I'm going to do this because, and he's right, when he makes himself vulnerable his dad is like, oh, no, no, you are not going to hurt my son. And then the rest of the community is like, you're not going to hurt. No, we are going to protect this person. And so everybody rises up. But it took that one person taking that huge chance, knowing one stone is not going to make any kind of a difference at all. If anything, it will get me killed or it will get me put in solitary, however you want to look at right. it. He has to believe that the power of his community is behind him and that they want something to pull them forward and have and let them stand up for themselves and so he's that person who takes that massive chance and that's a scary position to be in it's very inspiring yeah and again very emotional to see all these earthbenders stand up and um fight for their freedom against the 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 fire nation and it's a great and it's great a lot of action going on this fight a lot of really wonderful like the fire the earth bending was great the the way that they choreographed it and it's really see the guys the groups doing it together these earth bending coal 
And even the fire, the fire nation doing their fire bending is really kind of beautiful. It's really a lot of action going on. Oh yeah. And then they they wind up getting the warden and the troops on a on a pad of uh, of, of coal and put them over the ocean. And it's funny that the warden says, "I can't, I can't swim." Uh-huh. <laughs> Sorry, fire nation. I, yours, I, I had a feeling a lot of the fire nation can't swim, you know. But then he said, "It's okay," because I heard cowards float. Yeah. Tyro so really gets in that zinger. Day. He gets in that action movie zinger. Don't worry. I hear cowards float. Yeah, that is a real action movie zinger. <laughs> yeah, and then like credits. <laughs> it's he great. gets him. And they they take the fight they dump all the Fire Nation soldiers, including the warden, into the water, and they've got those ships, and they're using the ships, the Fire Nation ships, right. to get back to the village. Appa swimming uh, alongside and and Tyro, you know. Of course, thanks Katara and says, you know, she's like, what are you going to do? And he says, I'm going back. I'm going to take back my village. We're going to take back. Right. We're going to take back uh, our communities. And they say they they invite, you know, they invite her. They invite her and her friends. And she explains, no, we have to go to the North Pole, which I would add eventually. Right. Uh, (laughs) It's a long journey with a lot of stops along the way. But they're headed towards the North Pole. And so she can't go and you know there's Haru right there he just had to hear her say she's not sticking around so Haru Tara yeah they had a moment they had a moment they had a see you next lifetime moment for sure which leads to you know her reaching around her necklace and she's like but and where's my necklace and then cut to a conspicuously absent character in this episode who does not get to even say one word this episode. But guess what? It definitely caught people by surprise. Got caught me by surprise. Like, <gasps> like <laughs> picking her necklace off the ground. Good old Prince Zuko. Yeah. Just, a, just a step behind of what's going on. But guess what? He's on that trail like a bloodhound. That's right. He's on it. That's right. But I think a lot. I mean, I, I jumped in my seat for a it's second. A great I was like, moment. oh, it's a great there moment. There it goes. Great moment. It's a great moment. Uh, and I have to assume that he just throws it away or sets it on fire. And that's the last we ever see of the necklace, right? We don't know. Foreshadow <laughs> report. Foreshadow <laughs> report. Foreshadow. And also a foreshadow report. I mean, to a degree, I think this uprise of this, these earthbenders against the Fire Nation and then the, the, the rumor that the Avatar has returned, I've foreshadow report i feel like there's some rising ups against the fire nation across the that's land that's true the word is and spreading and these little sp- moments of victory the word spreading are, are th- i'm sure the word is spreading i think that's a great point the word is spreading yeah now for our animal crossing i don't think we have any new animals in this one unless i'm wrong fans if i'm wrong i'm sure you will tell me i don't think we have anything new and that would take us to our most valuable bending moment. I am the greatest earthbender in the world. A lot of bending, a lot of key bending uh, happening in this one. What do you think, buddy? You have a uh, you have one in what mind. What would you say? There's no avatar state in this one, so there's no like easy answer. Good point. No easy answer. No like avatar state bending. So mine that was most impactful to me is when, like I said, when all the the elder earthbenders got together and formed that wall. Boom and like kind of like made the wall against the firebenders and that really sparked off you know the resistance to the fire nation to me was like the most valuable i think you could say it was the one before that that started that but that one was such so impactful like oh we're ready to 
we're ready to go. I agree with you. I think, yes, we can argue all day long that, you know, Aang had to get the coal up there for that moment to even be logistically possible. But in terms of the value of the experience we get watching the episode and the value to those prisoners and what that moment means, I agree with you that everybody coming together and putting that wall up and just saying no more is mwah, chef's kiss no moment. More. It's great. The most valuable bending moment. Agreed. And then what do you think about most valuable non-bending moment? Well, it's got to go to the rewatch, rewatch, yeah, right? Got to go to rewatch, rewatch. I like when a bender has a non-bending moment because it shows it's not all about the bending. It's also about your diplomacy and your heart right. and your communication. Sometimes it's not about the bend. It's about the speech. It's not about the bend. Although Sokka did some cool things in the fight with his little boomerang. He broke some spears and collected some weapons. That's true. And the hel- and the, everybody to got together to help out making that cool air cannon thing that Aang has with the tunnel of air the where air, they're like all the loading the little... Air yeah, cannon. yeah, yeah. That's a really cool yeah, moment. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's a really cool moment. <laughs> that, was, that, was, that was cool. <laughs> but I, I agree with you. But I think it's got to go to Katara. Yeah. The cumulativeness, it's not even just the first one, it's the cumulativeness of Katara making these, you know, powerful speeches to, I guess you would say to, there's a word there that I can't think in my mind, to galvanize. Oh, that is the word. To galvanize. Ironic again, because galvanizing is about metal and they are on a metal prison with no earth, yet there is earth because there's coal. Yeah, she galvanizes even if it's the person that she touches the most, Harutara, is Haru. Harutara. And he yeah. it inspires him to take that and throw that, that first piece of coal. Um, I agree with you. I think that's uh, incredibly... Uh, th- I love that it's cumulative, and I think you're right. And I'm so glad you remember the word galvanized, because I would not have remembered it. Um, this it, that, that word has a, something to do with metal? Uh-huh. Him? What does that word have to do with uh, Galvanizing metal? is like a, it's like a process by which you... I don't know. But it does involve metal. <laughs> Don't make me look it up on my phone. <laughs> I, I didn't. I was just put. I don't. I obviously don't know. The, the, I I use the word. I don't have the whole definition oh of it, but God. I think it makes it stronger. Oh, yeah. Bring together. Let's. I'm gonna look. Let's up define the, this for the audience it. out there. I look it up. And y'all know we have to galvanize our community that's sometimes. Right, that's right. Uh, let's find out. Okay, galvanize. Galvanization or galvanizing is the process of applying a protective zinc coating to steel or iron to prevent rusting. The most common method is hot dip galvanizing, in which the parts are submerged in a bath of molten hot zinc. Boom! Boom. Hot dip of zinc. Hot dip of zinc. Galvanized. Now seems like a good time to take a break, and when we come back, the incredible Kevin Michael Richardson, who played Tyro in this episode, will be joining us. Yeah, deep, booming voices. Here we come. I cannot wait. I love his voice so much. And we're back, everybody. And now I can't wait to introduce you to Kevin Michael Richardson. What's up, brother? Hey, what's up, my man? How you doing, Dante? It's good. I miss you. I miss you. I miss you too, my man. Peace and love. God almighty. Look at you. Look at you. God almighty. You don't age. You don't age. You don't age. age. 
You don't age. Well, no, there's a lot of silver fox here, dude. Let me tell you. I got a lot of silver, too. Thank you for joining our podcast. You know this is Brave the Elements, so this is all about uh, the Avatar-verse. And we have you on this particular show because this is a show where you first show up um, as a character named Tyro. Going through, as soon as Tyro opened his voice and to hear your beautiful, velvety that's right. Voice come out of this man. I was like, I was like, KMR's in the house. <laughs> you guys too much, <laughs> and, man. And we know that. Look, like everyone, all the people that are listening that are Avatar fans, the ones that know you, know who you are, know your illustrious career. The people that don't know you, you're one of the hardest working men in all of voiceover. Listeners, I want you to think of two of your favorite animated shows of all time, any genre. Okay, take a moment, think about it. You got it in your head. He was in both. For sure. <laughs> multiple characters. Okay, multiple multiple in characters in both. That's right. That's right. He's, he was multiple characters in this episode of Imprisoned. He did, you know, when you get someone like Kevin in the booth, you got to, you're like, okay, how many voices can we credibly get away with having him do while he's here? So, you know, he, it looks like you were the tax collector uh, in this episode. You certainly were Tyro. Go. That's what we're leaning in on. Um, you were in some episodes the second and third season. And uh, listen, was a, it a, li- a, a couple the, of them were animals. So the, li- the lion turtle, something to do with the lion turtle. Oh, yeah, yeah. Lion turtle for sure. For do sure fans do fans call that one out to you? Because people I, are big fans of the hybrids. Right. Yes, I remember getting some considerable fan mail about that. And, and I'm not sure. I'm like, wow, I, I just re- wish I remembered what the heck I did and who I played. But I just remember, you know, people being very, very happy about it. And that was just that was cool to hear. You know? I mean, how, that is. But that's a real that's a real genuine question, though, knowing the kinds of stuff that the different things that you've been on. I mean, you've been in, oh my God, I, I don't I'm like afraid to get started, but like huge, like Marvel universe, Batman, DC universe, Transformers, like Transformers. DC. That Whoa. is, and those fandoms are so passionate and they, they, they remember and keep in their hearts. Family guy, Cleveland. Uh, and Dante and I have had a lot of fun working on <laughs> different uh, projects. Uh, yes. Different things here and there. So, can it, either it, of you uh, remember what those are? We did two series together, I think. Yeah, yeah, we, yeah. And the last one was Fire Breather, I think. Oh, we did Fire Breather too. Yeah, we played Fire, yeah, we did yeah. fire Breather too. <laughs> Wait a minute, what? You also you were the prince of the Fire Nation on Avatar, and you were also no, we in a project called Fire Breather. Right, yeah. it was good. You better unpack that. I'll tell you, you're one of my favorite people to be in the booth uh... with. Because same, when Kevin comes in the booth, same, same. it's like so much fun. I mean, I uh, like we are doing a project and we, we're going to get through the script, but we're going to have a lot of fun, you know, going <laughs> through it. I mean, and, and Kevin's going to fit that script in between coming from one project and going to another project for oh, sure. sure. Like, sure, sure, sure. There's only one of his gigs today, but he's amazing. So, Kevin, I feel comfortable that we've established that you are the workingest man in voiceover. But was it always like that? I mean, when you were getting started in New York, what was that like? Well, I, I studied theater at Syracuse, Syracuse University, you know, and uh, immediately afterwards, I just started pounding the pavement, you know, uh, just, uh, you know, doing that thing. Fortunately, you know, going back to do the main stage productions at the theater department, uh, for Syracuse University, uh, did a couple of shows and, you know, got the equity card thing, you know, got back to the city, pounded the pavement some more and, uh, was asked to do, um, a show out here in LA 
in 91 called uh, The Musical Comedy Murders of 1940. And that was at a theater called the Tiffany Theater on Sunset. But the friends who had asked me to do were fellow alumni, uh, George Mazurlis and God rest his soul, Sam Lloyd and his uncle, Christopher Lloyd, who were the reasons I came to California in the first place. I was a, They were the producers of this play. And they had asked me, and Sam and uh, George, George had asked me for a while to come out, please, please, please. And I'm like, I was hemming and hawing. And, you know, because, you know, starting to get into the rhythm of New York. and But I decided to, like, say, hey, okay. And I came out and did this play. And I thought it was only going to be for the summer. And I stayed ever since. Uh, fortunately, things started to, you know, roll. I mean, I started getting commercials and then like guest spots on TV and then it just kind of snowballed from there. However, voiceover had no idea it was going to go in the direction it, it, you know, it did. And I'm very grateful for that. That is tough. That feeling of being anywhere, but certainly in New York, of uh, feeling like you have a sense from the city itself and from people that you're interacting with that you there is this process of like you got to get beat down you get beat down then you get in then you get some momentum then you did and then and to sort of be yanked from that is that's that's a tricky proposition because it is a feeling of like oh i i just okay oh yeah 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 it was a a very big leap leap. i mean i had no idea what to expect coming out here i mean i was just like you know, uh, the first thing I noticed was, wow, look at all these palm trees, you know, this is a beautiful place, you know, and you know, I had no idea what to expect. And uh, I was just very excited, you know, to come to California. And, and I, you know, all these shows when you're even back east, you're watching most of them are done out here, you know, so to be part of that was a big deal for me. And I, and, and I was very green and, you know, very young and, and excited and I was I was so yeah. happy to work with Dante. My God, I was so excited because I when I, I loved that movie Hook so much, and uh, when oh, I yeah. finally got to work with Dante, I was starstruck. I was really starstruck and just get out of yeah, here. No, get no, I was. Here. I really was, and I just said, "Oh wow, hey man, you know." I mean, I don't know if I, I called you Rufio or not. I don't know, <laughs> but, but I was just like, no, I was just so excited. That would be and the first time someone did. See how kind. Uh, you were Dante and just, you know, a gentleman you were and, and, and cool to be around. It just made it even better. Ah, oh, thanks, you know, brother. Made it even better. No, Kevin's amazing. And I know, you you know, you've had, like you said, like stage, television, film. I know you even did a, a show, a pilot with my brother, The Cleaner, with, with oh, Munich. Oh, man. I know yeah. you were. So I know your, bro- your brother was that. amazing, too, by the way. He oh, was amazing. Thank you. And thank when you. he told me you said that was your brother, I said, what? I was like, yeah. man. It's a gang of Boscos running around Hollywood. I know. What are those Boscos? Um, man, what's in the water, man? <laughs> hey. You know? But then how How specifically, I know, because my path to the VO was odd, too. Like, how how did that corridor open up for you in the industry? Because a lot of people don't understand that voiceover is just one corridor of what we do. Right. But, it, you know, it's done well for me. It's done well for you. It's done well for, for Janet. Like, how did that happen for you? Um. I found out that the agency that I had signed with uh, Cunningham S. Scott and Dapini at the time, now it's Cunningham S. Scott Slevin and Dapini. I found out that they had a voiceover department. I remember going to the office just to say, hey, you know, say what's up. Uh, I overheard um, at the time Donna Davies, who was responsible for the animation department, uh, editing um, auditions on Reel to Reel. You know, so I'm overhearing these voices, you know. 
I'm like, what the hell is that? She goes, no, this is our voiceover department, and we're just, you know, editing the reels for auditions to send to the. I said, well, I said, whoa, 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 hold up. I said, voiceover. You mean you like for like cartoons and whatnot and shows you? And she, and she said, yes. I went, I went. People get paid for that, you know. <laughs> I'm like, I'm like, I said, I said, wait a second, I, I could do this, you know, give me a shot. And they were like, well, you know, you need to have your reel together and such and such and dot, dot, dot. And you might want to take a course. And I was like, no, 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 you don't understand. I can do this. You know, I can do that. And I basically nagged them for about a year. You know, they would, they wow. just weren't having it, you know, and I just nagged them. So wow. I would, I would, I would come in. Wow. <laughs> Wait, I love that instead of actually doing what they told you, you were like, oh, you know what? I'm going to invest in nagging. I don't need to do these other things. Can you hear my well, voice? No, I came in. So, like, every time I come in, I would just, you know, like, do, like, my sound effects. Like, you know, helicopters or, you know, like, for instance, like, uh, my Volkswagen that I was driving that my friend Sam loaned me at the time. An orange 1972 or 70 Volkswagen. And I would just go and... <laughs> that kind of thing, you know. You know, where a helicopter is just, <laughs> you know, stuff like you know, stuff like that. And I would do gunshots and and all kinds of sound effects. And then they were like laughing and getting oh, a so kick good. out of it. And I think they did this honestly, just to shut me up. They go, Kevin. All right, fine. Here, we'll send you on to this audition. <laughs> Just go ahead. And I got called back on it. Because you would. Because you're freaking awesome. You're like, they were auditioning for a 1970. <laughs> I said it was a 1968 Volkswagen, but they let me do it, even though I was two years off from yeah, my yeah. Volkswagen. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. The, so the catalytic uh, converter was off, but, you know, whatever. But <laughs> that's what happened. And it basically... It's kind of snowballed from there. Started getting things, and they just kind of snowballed from there. But it literally took me some nagging, about nine nine months, you know, I'd say six to the nine months to a year, about, you know, and, and until wow. they just said okay, and, and that's all she wrote. I just wasn't having it. I, I didn't have my reel. I just wasn't having it. I was like, just send me out, give me a shot, and and that's wow. that's that's basically. I know it was just not in my vocabulary for that. You know. Shout out to Cunningham, yeah. Cunningham Agency. I, really? I was with them when I was a kid. I, when they were on Robertson, Ray, when yes, all you, this going you, down. Right yes, on Robertson. You remember? Oh my gosh! Wow, yeah. we're old timers, oh Kevin. We're old timers. We're taking us back, <laughs> Tiffany <laughs> Theater, <laughs> right? Old CSD. Yeah, I remember. Or CD. There were no traffic lights on Lancashire, and uh, <laughs> you know that. Like, there is just a stop sign in there. <laughs> okay, you guys are here. Okay, so everyone out here listening to K KMR, that's how he is. It's like you you get in the studio with, with Kevin, and it's like there's two different things that I noticed when, when with Kevin. A, he does voices from very serious, real people voices to all kinds of crazy character voices, right? And then he's having so much fun in the room, but also what a lot of people don't know, KMR is like you have that recorder thing. So it's like he does the work and he has some sounds that he has somewhere in some magical box that he'll reference sometime. We oh, can't hear it. But he'll reference right. something. Yes, yes, yes. And then he would reference something and then he would come back to the mic and rock it. And you're like, what is, what, what's on that little? 
thing you got there, KMR. Oh, so this is. You I, remember? I you you remember? Being, I thought you were being like a. Uh, uh, KMR, I'll be watching things, dude. I'll be watching device? things. I'll be, I'll be checking out game. <laughs> Wait, what was going on with that huh? recorder? It, it, it was a little tiny, really very cool little digital recorder. Got it somewhere. It was like a Sony recorder, and I would just like record, uh, you know, some references to characters that. Um, and just store them and keep them, uh, especially if it was for a gig that I haven't done in a while, if it was for a recurring character. And I go, oh, okay, I think I remember who that guy was when I would play it back, you know, and just so I could ha- keep him in my ear, you know. But now we have our iPhones. Now we have our iPhones. So I would use that and then keep right. them in, store, you know, in storage and just say, okay, let's go back to this guy just in case they don't have the reference. And I can say, okay, I remember who this guy is, you know. Yeah, Kevin had his own little one. He'd pull you, out. We'd be like, okay. You remember? You remember he did. that? Oh my god, good That's memory, man. That's so smart, man. though. Especially if you're doing that many different voices, you know. A lot of the time, they would have the reference for what you did, you know, and they'll play it back for you, and that, that's cool. You know, yeah. the, those guys, those cats, have their stuff together, you know. So I'm like, okay, that's cool. Um, but a lot of times, uh, especially if it's somebody new. Uh, you know, you got to come up with the goods right there, Dante. I'm sure you know, Janet, True, I know I you know. know. Well, that, you know. that's why the thing I love about you that, you know, it's so fluid. If you're in the room with Kevin, it's so, it feels like it's just, and it is happening in the moment, whatever he's doing. And they're so confident and robust. But when you were pulling out that recorder, I, it was, it was keying me in as a younger actor to go, that's the work. You understand mm. when young actors, you, you see actors do work and you think it's so magic and so in the moment, and it is, but you discount the amount of work it takes to get there and the, the libraries that you keep in your mm-hmm. mind of the characters of the work that you've done and are doing and, you know, and it's there. And so you get to like, don't be, don't be fooled by the magic trick of how, how effortless it, it feels in the moment understand the work and everything. Could you speak a little bit to how race is interpreted in voiceover and what that, like, it's got to feel different than being on camera, right? I mean, it just has to. You're not going to necessarily play a mushroom. I'd love to hear your take on race and representation and how that's different. The the wonderful thing about voiceover is that non-traditional casting has been a very big factor in our field. And I've mentioned this to other folks where you find grown women playing 10-year-old boys. You find you right. find Asian playing black, uh, right. black playing Asian, women playing men. And, you know, the, the spectrum is huge of a variety of like who's playing who. Black man playing a dolphin. <laughs> black man playing a dolphin. A dolphin. A, dolphin, a, a bear. bear. <laughs> a bear. I play a nine-year-old, uh, a, a troll. It, it, it's just incredible. How, how wide the scope is that, you know, we have been, uh, as far as people of color, have been playing. And in the early stages, I remember getting a job where I auditioned and they wanted me to, you know, come in. And it was these uh, sound-alike. They wanted a Robert Stack sound-alike. I'm not sure if you're familiar with him, but he was in an original show back in the day, The Untouchables, mm-hmm. the series. Uh, and also, you know, you know, he hosted, you know, unsolved mysteries and that type of thing and when i you know arrived at the job the producers were like and you are and i'm like hi i'm kevin richardson i'm here for the role of this you know character sound like and they (laughs) apparently it took them like 15 to 20 minutes to get back to me in the lobby um, while i'm waiting and they had called my agent saying that they sent the wrong guy (laughs) you know so it was things like that 
Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. And and then Without they finally brought me in. You can see they just your, yeah. brought me in the room, and then there was the detention. I mean, you could cut it with a knife, you know, because there were several people in there, you know, seven, about five to eight people, and they all looked very serious, and they weren't very friendly. And I got in, and as soon as I did my thing, their eyes lit up, and they were like, you know, what the, you know, so. <laughs> <laughs> Those were the early days of, you know, starting in the business and, you know, what to look out for. It's very cool to work in a business where that there are no limitations in that area for us, uh, for all of us, you know, uh, women, men, you know, children. It's interesting to see because the, the, the reality of it is, I mean, there are racist people. And when you're out in the world and, you know, I, it's obvious. I'm a black man. I can't hide that. <laughs> That's who I am. <laughs> and, 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 and yet you're, you know, you might run into someone who is, may not, you know, be partial to who you are. And yet their children will have like a T-shirt with a character that you voiced, <laughs> you know, something like that. They'd be, you know, and it's interesting. You're like, wow, how do I approach this? Or do I approach it at all? Uh, and it's sort of like, we're kind of like little, like, superheroes and this is our secret identity because it's such an an anonymous business where a lot of folks out there don't know what we do for a living at the gas station or the grocery store or the car wash or what have you uh and uh but at the same time you you know puts a little smile on your face saying hey at least this this person likes the character that we did or worked on and so we're adding joy to the world in a crazy world (laughs) you know that we live in you know i don't know if that answered your question (laughs) yes indeed yeah, I mean, like doing Cora was just like, it's all my heroes in a room. And st- starting with a job like that, you're like, good luck trying <laughs> right. to give me a job I'll love more than this. It can never happen. Maybe I could love it the same, but I could never love it more than being on the Avatar, uh, in the Avatar universe, you know? Oh, that's wonderful. And, and and you made like so many children who are now like, you know, young adults happy, you know? And like the effect that you've had on the, you know, oh my gosh. so many children uh, and, and fans, you know, of all ages, uh, they remember this, remember it for many, many years to come. Kevin, what do you think about that? Because you, you do so many things and there's certain things like, of course, like the Marvel stuff or the DC stuff that we know the impact already has had. But then you've not just Avatar, but other stuff that you've done that become bigger than we might have even thought it was going to be when we did it. Like, is there a different way you look at her? I mean, you, for me, I'm like, I don't know. They're like, you've done iconic characters. I'm like, no one knew they were going to be iconic when I was doing them. You're just doing them. But when you look back, I'm always kind of surprised. You're like, wow, it became such an impactful thing. Can you, do you have a feel of anything that you do when you're doing all these, these, these shows and these projects that what's going to be more impactful or not? Or just, just No, I really, really don't. Yeah, you're, I, you're just, uh, if you're having fun with it, and having a blast, that's, I find the reaction from the the audience and the fans tends to be really huge, no matter which character it would be. Uh, but looking at what would come out as like something big or iconic, I, I honestly, I could not tell you. It's just about, yeah. the way I look at it is, if you're not having fun recording it, the the audience won't have fun really listening to it as much, you know? I mean, I, I think you just need to just put all that fun energy into whatever character you're doing and and see what happens on the other side, you know. And and if the reaction is positive, then that's a win. That's a goal. That's a big score. I got a fan letter from a, a lady who said she was in her, like, 70s or 80s. And, 
you know, stuff like that. That that's all the difference in the world, you know. Just wow. adding just some joy to huge. someone's life. Huge. That's that's the win right there. That's the big win. Absolutely. Final question is what kind of bender you would be, whether you be a airbender, fire, water, or earth. A lot of that is has to do with how people see themselves and their moods. Dante obviously played for he's a fire, fire nation forever. I would like to say all the above. For now, I'll go with Earth. I want to go with water, <laughs> but <laughs> you can water. I can see water with you for sure. I can see yeah, water. Yeah, yeah, I like water. Kevin McRichard, thank you so much for hanging oh, out with us. Man. It's such a pleasure. Thank you. Can't wait to hang out in a barbecue or something, something. or another booth or something. Uh, I know. It's so fun to see the two of you giving each other so yeah, much love. That, like, made my day. This is wonderful. I said there's nothing more than and that. What a pleasure so uh, working with you here, reading with you, uh, you know, today, speaking with you today, Miss Janet, uh, or Miss uh, Varney. Uh, I'm not sure. Miss Janet Varney. Varney. Mm-hmm. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. I'm sorry no one told you that I do go by Miss Varney. Thank you. We'll see everybody next Tuesday on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, the iHeartRadio app, or wherever you get your podcasts. We'll see you guys next week. If you haven't already subscribed or followed, please do so. You can do it wherever you find your podcasts. See you next time.